Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. It's April 20th, 2016, and you are listening to The Bank, a Baltimore Ravens podcast brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. I'm your host, Jason B. Hirshhorn, and joining me today, as always, are Andy Guider and Gabe Ferguson. Gentlemen, it's been a really slow week in the NFL. Times like this, you really wish that teams would just go crazy with trades and player moves, don't you think? Yeah, I'm looking for stuff to find here. I, I can't really see much going on. Did something Did something go on today or maybe? No, see, the NFL just doesn't care about podcasters like us who really need content to discuss. Yeah, of, of course we were kidding at the top. The big move of the day, the Cleveland Browns made a colossal trade to send the second overall pick and a fourth rounder this year to the Philadelphia Eagles for this year's first round pick, that being eighth overall. This year's third and fourth round pick, a first rounder next year, and a second rounder the season after that. So I'm just going to start out with Gabe. Did this move surprise you? It did. It really did surprise me. Um, I thought the Browns would want to draft the quarterback. You know, they haven't had the franchise quarterback forever. Um, they need a franchise quarterback. They were in position to draft the quarterback, and they decided that. You know, we don't really like these quarterbacks, so we're going to trade back. We want to get a lot in return. They got a great haul. I think um, they really did well in their trade, and they're still picking relatively high. So they might end up with a quarterback still. It might not be one of the top two quarterbacks. We'll have to wait and see. But, yes, it did definitely catch me a little bit off guard. I mean, this is certainly a trade that, you know, a week, two weeks ago, none of us were expecting because, as you mentioned, the Browns are definitely one of those teams that you assumed most of the offseason was going to pick a quarterback at number two. We just didn't know who it was. Now we know that won't happen because of the deal. If you decide that the quarterback that's going to be available or maybe all of the quarterbacks possibly available to you are not worthy of being franchise guys, not worthy of being top three picks, you know, it makes sense to trade down. You get much more value. I mean, the Browns have set themselves up just like the Titans did earlier this month with just a bevy of picks for the future. It allows you to be a little more selective with your choices and allows you to actually build faster overall. You can really get that turned, or that organization turned around much more quickly with all these extra selections. I'm going to flip this over to Andy now. How does this move affect the AFC North as a whole? Because obviously the Browns in the same division with the Ravens, Bengals, and Steelers. Yeah, I think the AFC North you know, in a whole, as a whole – for one thing it does is it starts to uh, unearth a little bit of, of Cleveland's plan. You know, as Gabe mentioned, I mean, obviously that's really is not their plan to take, uh, to take one of those to, two top uh, franchise, possible franchise quarterbacks. But, you know, you, you start to see perhaps what their process is, you know, obviously with all those changes they've had in the, in the front office and, you know, everybody's, you'd say very, you know, very interested in what, what they're going to do, sort of how they're going to attack it. And it's kind of, you know, at least at least plays the first card and says, "Hey, you know, we're, we are going to build through the draft." You know, and 
Obviously, you might say uh, there are a bunch of teams out there that, that think the way you build through the draft is when there is a franchise quarterback, a possibility of when you go get him. But uh, but clearly, that's you know that's not the way the uh, that's not the way the Browns look at uh, you know how, how they're going to approach this draft. Uh, and, and who knows? Maybe they think that um, you know they have a guy in their in their building right now from the from the Redskins. But I'd say that's a long shot. But you know, you never know. You never know exactly what's going on um, with the Browns, but you know at least at least this starts to uh, this starts to show you um, a little bit what, what what their mindset might be. And I think the other thing it does, you know, for Baltimore, uh, you know, this it's it's almost like these teams, you know, starting with San Diego. You know, you can debate. You know, obviously with with Cleveland, you thought maybe they were going to take a quarterback if they were still there, but it's almost like all those teams have moved up two spots in the draft, you know, San Diego, Dallas, Jacksonville, Baltimore, you know, they, those teams really weren't going to take one of those quarterbacks anyway. So knowing that those two are off the board uh, with those first two picks, it's, it's almost as if they've, they've all moved up two spots, you know, so now some of that, those conversations uh, become a little more spirited about, about who's still going to be on the board at number six. Um, because I think we have a pretty good idea who's going to be off the board with, with one and two. I think you hit on a very important point, that being that we have an idea of how the Browns, this new brain trust that they have with Sashi Brown at the head, Paul D. Podesta, and now Hugh Jackson as the head coach, how they're really going to approach building this team because the previous administrations have done a historically awful job. You know, we discussed how bad they've been at the quarterback position. They've had 24 different starters since returning from oblivion in 1999. That's by far the most in the league. And there's this quote from Brown after they made the deal that I think really reveals how, how they're looking at this differently. He said, we are excited about owning 12 picks heading into this year's draft and acquiring the high future picks in 2017 and 2018. These picks will play a major role in building our team for long-term sustained success. We want to assemble a young nucleus of talented players, and this trade positions us really well. And it's exactly what we've been talking about. The, this team finally has the means to basically rebuilt every part of that team over a short period of time because you go up and down the roster, they do have some very good players. We talked off air about Joe Hayden being one of the better corners in the NFL. They also have Joe Thomas, one of the better offensive linemen. They have a couple of other decent players too, but beyond that, they have a whole lot of trash. And that is a big problem when you're playing in a division like the AFC North that has so many teams that are competitive year in, year out. So, this is going to be potentially a game changer for them if they actually use those picks successfully because we've seen with the previous Browns administrations, they've actually traded back before. I mean, I think we all remember the Sammy Watkins trade where they traded from four back to the uh, the latter end of the top 10 and they ended up squandering all of those picks, you know, with bad quarterback selections, Justin Gilbert, who is barely still on the roster, choices like that. They really need to get away from those things in order to finally build you know, not even just like a Super Bowl contender, just a team capable of making the playoffs. So again, this was the the biggest story of the week, but there was another pretty major story, and I think maybe an even more surprising development that also occurred on Wednesday when the defending NFC champion uh, Carolina Panthers removed the franchise tag from their all-pro cornerback Josh Norman, which effectively makes him an unrestricted free agent able to sign with any team. So there's a number of ways that we can approach this topic, but I'm going to start with Gabe. What are the chances that Josh Norman lands in the AFC and specifically to an AFC North team? I think that the 
chances are pretty good, actually. There are a number of teams in the AFC that have some cap room. Um, I was, I think that the reason that Carolina let him go was after reading some of the uh, the talk from Dave Gettleman that they just weren't making progress in a long-term deal. And he was on a tender, I think it was around $14 million, what the franchise tag was. Um, so that's obviously a lot of money, but for you know a top-flight cornerback, that's pretty much the going rate. So it wasn't really a bad deal for them this year. I know they were close against the cap, but it's, it was definitely interesting to see him be like um, let go like that. Um, I think a team like the Browns actually might be interested in acquiring him. They have a lot of cap room. They have some depth at cornerback, but they don't have really a great player opposite of Joe Hayden. And that might be the great place to start with rebuilding that team, that, that defense. Um, you know, there's some other teams, maybe the, the Jaguars in the AFC. They have some cap room. They've been making a lot of splash moves over the offseason. I think that they're an up-and-coming team. They could really use a player of, of Norman's talent. Um, the AFC East teams are all pretty tight against the cap. I don't see them going there. Um, pretty much the same is true about the AFC West. So I think as far as the AFC is concerned, uh, the AFC North might actually be the most likely landing spot for him. Well, in terms of just the AFC in general, I think there's a very good chance that happens. There are six teams that have $20 million or more dollars available in cap space, and of those, half of them are actually on the Ravens' schedule this season, including the Browns twice. So as it, as it, as it affects the Ravens, I think there's a very reasonable chance they end up playing Josh Norman's team this year, even though we don't know who that is yet. So I, I'm going to flip this to Andy now. If Norman does land somewhere on the Ravens' schedule, do, do you think that affects them in a meaningful way? Does that maybe scare them a little bit because of how good of a corner he is? You know, I would, I would again, looking in division in the, in the north, really, you know, that possible landing space would be in Cleveland. And, you know, that would just be really intriguing in my mind uh, to, for a player of Josh Norman's caliber, not necessarily, and not so much his caliber, but... In terms of what he's been in, you know, with the uh, with the Panthers, with a, a perennial, you know, Super Bowl contender, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what what he thinks and, and how he approaches free agency. If it's just going to be a cash grab, or if, or if um, you know, if if the team that he lands on, um, you know, if that if that culture, that organization is important, and who knows, maybe you know, maybe that's that's part of Cleveland's plan that you know the way that they're going to approach this this offseason with this money that maybe they will be an attractive landing spot to him um you know i think from from the from the ravens point of view or i think that really if if it is the browns it, it's you know i'd have to agree with what you had said that uh you know sashi brown had said earlier that you know this is going to be a long rebuilding process for the for the browns uh, and you know there would be steps forward, hopefully, um, but they'd be probably pretty modest. Um, so it might be a while before they become a, a team that really gets out of that that seller position in the AFC North. But you know it would I, I would say if if it was going to be a team that they, if he was on that team in particular, you know I, I wouldn't see that as being too much too worrisome for the Ravens. Um, but you know ne you never know. Maybe in, in two years that that might change. 
Yeah, but if you're going to spend the kind of money you need to to acquire Josh Norman, you really want to compete a lot sooner than two, three years down the line because, you know, he's not an old player by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not totally young either. He's 27. He's going to be 28 in the not-too-distant future. If you're paying him and not expecting to compete until around the time he's 30, that's a pretty hefty investment that you might not return much on, even if you're the Browns with all these extra picks that they now have. So that's why I think it's a little more likely he would go to a team that either just has so much more cap room that just doesn't even really matter. Like the Jaguars have 50-some million available. They they literally have to spend more just to meet the cap floor. So bringing in someone like Josh Norman just makes more sense for them because even if they don't totally capitalize on him, he's such an important player to any defense. He would certainly fit the uh, the scheme of Gus Bradley, defensive coordinator who came from Seattle and loves those big, aggressive, physical corners. I think that's a little more likely, but again, that is a team that the Ravens have to play this year. Now, let's transition to one other topic, because we didn't get to discuss this last week. The schedule is out for every NFL team that includes the Baltimore Ravens. You know, we, we talked about the teams that could pick up Josh Norman around their schedule. Let's talk about all of those teams. Have you guys had a chance to really look over the schedule and make some kind of determination on the you know how difficult it's going to be for the Ravens? Let, let's start with Gabe. Yeah, I've I've taken a pretty good look at it. It's it's a pretty easy schedule in the first half, and then it gets progressively harder um, over the course of the schedule. The last, I think, three games of the season are at New England, either at Pittsburgh or at home at Pittsburgh, and then at Cincinnati. Um, it's, so that's a pretty tough um, final three games. But the first half is, is pretty friendly, I think. They don't play any of the um, really hard games games they have several games at home against um you know some i would consider mediocre competition i think for a team that is trying to rebound from you know a lot of serious injuries last year a team that's trying to implement some new players you know getting a mike wallace a ben watson and eric weddle involved I think having a somewhat softer schedule to start the season, having a bye week right in the middle of the season, a week eight, that's pretty ideal. They don't have to travel nearly as much as they did last season going to the West Coast a couple of different times. I think it's going to help the team a little bit, help them rebound and get back to where we normally expect to see the Ravens finishing up their, their season. I'll jump in real quick. I, I had seen that, uh, that schedule when it came in. That was the first thing that jumped off. Uh, at me was really the, the beginning of that schedule is, is is very favorable you know especially you can get a win over the Bills in week one and you, you really have a chance obviously the Raiders are sort of an up and coming but you know you've got some home games um, and again for a for a team that you know has that has some of the pieces and if if it was just an anomaly last year then you know it really does give you a chance to start strong you know and, and again that's 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 an important piece uh, in this league you, know, you start strong you get out fast out of the gate, you know, then you, you do the last half of your season, you go four and four, you end up in the playoffs, you know, if you can win enough in the first half. So, you know, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice setup for you. Um, and uh, it'd be nice to be exciting to see what happens. Well, there are certainly some aspects of this schedule that are very favorable to the Ravens, none possibly more important than their eight or week eight by teams love having the buy as close to the middle of the schedule as possible. You know, if it's too early, you don't really get to take advantage of it the way you can if it's late. And if it's too late, sometimes that, you know, that middle part of the schedule, the players become so worn down. So to get it right in the middle is really where you want it. At the same time, though, 
the back end of that schedule is brutal for the Ravens, especially if you look at literally the last six weeks. They play, they play the Cincinnati Bengals, the team that has gone to the playoffs each of the last four years, and Miami Dolphins team that, while was not, has not been a playoff team any time recently, can get physical with teams, certainly with Ndamukong Sue on that defensive line. That could be a tough game as well. Then at the Patriots, that's tough in any situation. The Eagles should at least be more competent than they were last year than at the Steelers and at the Bengals to close it out. That is going to be really tough, even if Baltimore does get on a very, very strong start. So I wonder, like, how good does the first half of their schedule have to go for them to survive that back half? Let's start with Andy. You know, I would say either way, you know, when you look at a schedule, it might be, it might be form, you know, formed up in this way. You know, either way, you know, when, those, when that second half comes around, you know, you've, you've got to know you've got, you've got to have the playmakers. You know, you've got to have the goods, if you will. And, you know, the team would know. I mean, you could be, you know, you could be seven and one and, and you, you would know. You know, it, we, don't, we don't have the horses here uh, with some of these teams that we're going to line up with. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's really a little bit more on the inside there. Um, the record might be one thing, um, but, but the team will know, you know, the, the team will really know what's going on as it, as it lines up. And there's no doubt. Yeah. As you look at that, um, you know, you, uh, you see a lot of, a lot of Bengals and Steelers lined up and, and, oh yeah, uh, you get to go play, uh, go play the Patriots too. So, you know, you, hopefully, you know, you, you'd sort of line up and say, you'd hope, you know, hopefully there's a team or two on there that, you know, might get, might get the injury bug caught up, you know, kind of like the Ravens did last year. What about you, Gabe? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point about the injuries. You never really know what a team is going to look like even after the first week of the season or after training camp. I mean, it's, it's still kind of early right now. You have a pretty good idea what teams will, will have. Um, but like for the Ravens, you know, they were decimated by injuries. They, Lost Terrell Suggs in Week One. Halfway through the season, they lost Flacco. They lost Forsett. Um, there's a lot of things that can change. I th- I think um, as far as the first half of the season, I think they can get off to a really good start. I, I know it seems incredibly optimistic, but I think a a six and one, even a seven and zero oh start, wouldn't be impossible. They just don't have very difficult games on the schedule. The hardest games would probably be at New York teams at the Giants at the Jets there they were the Giants made some offseason moves they'll be a little better the Jets were decent last year I think their record was better than the team actually played I mean it, it looks like a, a schedule where they can rack up some wins and they're going to have to do that as we mentioned because the second half does get a lot harder there's a they don't have a lot of Friendly games in the second half. Maybe a home game against the Browns. Maybe a home game against the Dolphins. They seem like the easiest ones. The Eagles maybe as well. Um, but I think if you go six or seven wins in the first half and then get three in the back half, I think that that's pretty reasonable. All right. Well, no one is going to hold you to the following prediction because the draft hasn't even happened yet. This is just sort of an evaluation of where these teams are at this point in time. Looking at that schedule, looking at the rosters, do you think the Ravens, as it stands, are going to go to the playoffs? Let's just flip it right back to you, Gabe. I think they will. I think they were able to do a lot of smart moves in the offseason. I think there's going to be a lot of talent that gets back healthy. That will be very important 
they essentially get an extra rookie first round pick in wide receiver Brashad Perriman. We didn't see him at all last season, and he could end up being a bit player. He could just be a role player. He could actually be a pretty good player as well. Um, the Steelers lost some players. They lost one of their best weapons in Martavis Bryant to a year-long suspension. The Bengals lost two of their top three wide receivers. Um, you know, the, those those things matter. The Ravens brought in a lot of offensive talent, and I think I think it'll help them. I think they will get back to the playoffs. I think they'll get 10 wins and, and make it back. All right, Andy, how are you seeing this playing out for the Ravens? You know, I, I see it playing out really, you know, with how they've, you know, with how they've set it up with really with their, with what they're doing with their quarterback, you know, and I think this is the year that you, you know, you, you start to lean on, on him, on the guy that, that you're, you're paying a lot of money to, you know, and I think also that this will, um, you know, kind of be a defining year for, for Harbaugh. I think, you know, how, how you respond to what, to what happened last year. Um, you know, I, I think those guys in that leader, in those leadership positions, you know, guys that have led this team to the, to the Super Bowl. I mean, Hey, it wasn't too long ago that they were coming off a Super Bowl win. So, you know, I think, I think they do. I think, I think they find a way, uh, you know, as, as you're, as you're looking at it, is it, you, you know, until you start playing, until they start winning again, you know, it's, it's hard to say, God, they're going to, they're going to start sacking W's, but you can see you can see nine wins and and you just never know it with uh with with such a, a tough division um you know everybody might beat each other up and and um you know nine might get you get you a wild card spot well i hate to disappoint our ravens fans that are listening at least as it stands right now and i i want to be able to change this if the draft goes a certain way and certainly as the offseason develops I don't see how the Ravens make the playoffs with the schedule and with the roster that they currently have and the rosters of their uh, division rivals. You know, the first half is certainly easier than the second for Baltimore, but I don't think it's actually all that easy. You know, the Raiders, we didn't really discuss much at all. That's a team that could very easily compete for the playoffs this season with all the additions they made and all the development they are likely to have with their young players. That's not going to be an easy matchup. The following week, they play Washington, a team that I think was overrated last year, but is at least going to be somewhat competitive. And then they have back-to-back games, not just against New York teams, on the road there. I don't think that does the Baltimore Ravens any favors. And as we already discussed, that, that back end is just the schedule of death. It's not impossible, I suppose, if the draft goes really well, but you know, if they pick up a really big player at number six, let's say Miles Jack falls to them, which long-term would be fantastic for that team, I don't know how much it's going to help them early on the schedule, and later on, I'm not sure it's going to matter as much, because as we discussed, that schedule is so difficult, and you brought up the point, Gabe, about Prashad uh, Pyramid coming back. That is going to probably help them in the long run. I don't know that's going to help them that much this season. He was one of the Ross receivers coming out last year that had first-round potential, and he didn't play a single snap in the preseason or in the regular season last year. So I think he's going to take a fair amount of time just to get going. And, you know, maybe he'll hit his stride sometime during the second half of the schedule, but it might just be too late at that point. Again, we'll have to see what happens in the draft and how all of these things develop, but... I see this a little differently than I think you guys do, but you know that's why we're all on this podcast together to share our views. No doubt, and we'll uh, we'll find out starting on September 11th. Yes, of course, the the perfect day to start out any NFL yeah. season. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Again, this is The Bank, a Baltimore Ravens podcast brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. I'm Jason B. Hershorn. With me, as always, Andy Guider and Gabe Ferguson. And we'll talk to you guys next week.